0: We are finishing up the book of Revelation tonight, so please turn to Revelation chapter 21, to Revelation chapter 21. Let us pray before we begin. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the deep work that it does in our lives. And we thank you for this wonderful picture that we get. of the future and just that assurance that everything ends well. We thank you for that. And I pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit tonight and give us that vision of heaven Lord, that you so Wonderfully, have given us in this word, and that we would just embrace it in our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are in our last study of the book of Revelation. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. I do. I tell you what, I, I want to give thanks to a couple people, including uh, my mentor, Damien Kyle. I've been tracking his teachings throughout this book. It's not something I typically do, but... Man, you take a wrong left or a long right in the book of Revelation, and you are down a deep abyss. And I've been using him and... John Wolverd he's a former president of Dallas Theological Seminary. His he wrote really the, in my opinion, the the standard work. I will call it that on the Book of Revelation. The best the best material I think comes from him. So we are in picking up in verse nine, but. Um, just by way of very quick review, remember from the very beginning of the book, uh, John is in exile in the, on the island of Patmos, and he has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus tells him to uh, this vision is I'm going to give you a vision. And I want you to write these things down. And the things that I want you to uh, write down are things which you have seen. And that includes what he had seen up to that point just from Jesus himself on the island of Patmos. For example, when he first saw Jesus, uh, it says that um, he saw him and uh, Jesus says, I am the alpha and the mega, the first and the last, so he, he he writes that out. In verse 19, he continues, write the things that you have seen, the things which are, so chapters two and three are about the state of the church, and then the things which take place after this, meaning taking place after the, you could say the church age, because chapters two and three apply as much today as, to the church as they did to the church then in 90 AD. Sean, could we have the timeline of Jesus' return up here? So the things which are which would include the present church age. But when he says in verse 19 in chapter 1, and also write down the things which will take place after this, that means after the church has been taken up, raptured. And the middle chapters of the book of Revelation um, are about the seven year tribulation period there are a series of final judgments the judgments are not only righteous and punitive in nature but they are also God's plea to the to the earth to repent and to the very last few verses of this book we'll see this tonight the Lord wants people to repent he desires that Everyone be saved, and and uh, the Bible says, and and that's his desire. That's his heart. That's what he wants. Um, but uh, there's a series of judgments uh, there, and uh, then in uh, chapter seventeen, I mean, rather in chapter nineteen, you have the return of Christ right there in the bottom right hand side and a description of the millennial reign of Christ and then in uh, chapter 20 we began this last week uh, the there will be a new heavens and a new earth chapter 21 verse 1 says then I saw a new heavens and a new earth so the millennial reign of Christ will take place sort of Uh, on on the earth as we know it, although there are going to be some geographical changes prior to the millennial reign. We uh, read about uh, those, but... The new heaven and the earth is going to be a whole new deal, a whole new thing. We're going to read about that tonight. Verse nine says, "Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with the last pl- seven last plagues." That, remember that where there was a series of judgments: the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. This was the angels who had the seven bowls and had poured out the judgments on earth. Well, he shows up uh, in th- on the scene again. And John sees him, he came to me and talked with me saying, come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now there is a bride referred to in the Old Testament as Israel. There's a bride referred to in the New Testament, which is the church. But this bride is going to be all believers in the history of God's dealings with his people. That's who the bride is. And it says in verse 10, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And so there is a question of whether this great city that descends actually hits the earth. I guess there's some people who think it's suspended right above the earth, uh, but. Uh, people will have access to this who are are participating that includes you God willing if you've accepted Jesus Christ. this new city verse 11 uh, says has the new rather has the glory of God her light meaning the light of the city was like a most precious stone like a jasper stone clear, as crystal. Also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And so this great city, it's called the Bride. And it's, com- it's called the Bride not because of the incredible foundation and the walls and the streets which we're about to uh, read about, but because you're there. That's how much God loves you. It's because you're there. Just like the church. Church is not a building. It's the people in the building. And God so loves you uh, that he he calls this new city heaven. He calls it actually br- the bride because you will be there with him. And I, I just think again of the Song of Solomon, which we were in a number of years back, where the you know there's the Shulamite woman, and there's Solomon who represents the woman represents uh, God's people. And Solomon represents uh, Jesus Christ. And throughout the Bible, we see this in Ephesians chapter 5. The the, the groom is God or Jesus. The, The bride is God's people. In the New Testament, it's actually the church. But the Shulamite woman, at the beginning of the book and the Song of Solomon and she cannot believe wow this 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 king solomon loves me and she says in chapter 2 my beloved is mine and i am his but by the end of the book she's able to say chapter 7 my beloved is mine and his desire is for me it takes a while for people to understand that god's desire is for me he's not just a a, a reluctant Landlord, his desire is for you, and that and that's why uh, Jerusalem here, the holy, the new city, the great city, the New Jerusalem, it's descending out of the heaven from God is 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 called the the bride, and it says the gates have the names on them, the twelve gates and the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. That's uh, interesting that um, the new heavens and, and earth, there's an, an acknowledgement of the Old Testament saints, those who had walked faithfully with the Lord. And you, know, you go through the Old Testament and you see the ups and downs and the book of Judges and the level of rebellion. And, but but, but you know, those who, who stick with their Lord, who stick with God, who stick with Jehovah, who stay with Him, they're forever going to have this acknowledgement and your service for the lord it's being noticed it really is it says in verse 13 three gates on the east three gates on the north three gates on the south and three gates on the west on the west it says now that the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb now this confuses me a little. Why, you know, why, why honor men, you know, in the new heaven? So why, why is that? That's a little strange to me. Um, well, it's a little less strange when you go back through um, the New Testament and really see what these guys went through, just how they were despised. And Paul said you know, I have the the marks of Christ all over my body. He was referring to scars. I'm going through the book of Acts now and and it says the 12 apostles there in verse 14. We don't know for sure who the 12th apostle was. Was it Matthias or was it Paul? Commentators disagree on that particular issue. But... You know what they went through him in the Book of Acts, and this—you know—they—they they, Paul goes to Jerusalem at the towards the end of his life, and right before he's shipped back to Rome, and and he's just walking around the temple grounds, minding his own business. But when someone noticed him, it says that all the city was disturbed in Acts twenty-one thirty. And the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut and and the soldiers had to come in, verse 32, and the, when they did, they stopped beating Paul um, and they literally had to, ki- the soldiers, verse 35 of Acts 21 says, they had to carry him out, carry him out because of the violence of the mob for the multitude of the people followed after crying away with him. And then, he convinces the, the Roman commander to speak to the crowd, but you know when he gets to the place in speaking to the crowd where Jesus tells him, depart for I will send you uh, far from here to the Gentiles, as they listened to him until that word. And it says, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Can you imagine just a multitude of people just screaming out that about you? And so the testimony is 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 so pure, it's so good, that it, it it's so precious to God it, that there will be a mark of it really in the new heavens. This is a remarkable thing, actually. Verse 15 of chapter 21 of Revelation, and he who talked with me, this angel, had a golden reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, its breadth, and, and height. Oh, that's odd. This, this is like a cube, this city it not only has a, a length and a width, it goes up to 12,000 furlongs on each side. 12,000 furlongs, that's 1,400 miles. That's three-quarters of the size of the continental United States. So you go east coast to Colorado. You go from Maine down to Georgia. Georgia. That's how big it is—the big place. But it's like a cube. Verse seventeen says, "Then he measures its wall one hundred and forty cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is <clears throat> of an angel, meaning two hundred and sixteen feet thick." Now, here's what's amazing: the, it says the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear. Glass. Now, notice it says, um, like clear glass. It says in verse 11, like jasper. And so he's just using words to try to describe what he is seeing. But what he is seeing is just beyond. Description beautiful, so much so he's more or less going to pass out after he finishes see, seeing this. We'll we'll see that at the end. He, he put it this way: he loses his mind. But um, just the, the the beauty here, verse nineteen, it says, "the foundation of the walls of the city." Remember these walls, 216 feet thick, the foundation of the wall of the city, were adorned with all kinds of precious stone. The first foundation was Jasper. Hey Sean, are you ready for our display here? So I have all these. The first foundation was jasper. Here you go. 216 feet thick. 1,400 miles long. Wow. The second foundation was sapphire. There you go. Any sapphire fur? <laughs> Any fans of sapphire? The third, is it Chalcedony? Ooh. Could be, it's like Chaldeans and Chaldeans. Who knows what it is? The fourth, emerald. Faith was really excited about this when I told her we'd be doing this. She's back there looking, emerald. These are the foundation of the walls. Of oh, the New Jerusalem, the new city, heaven. The fifth, sardonyx. There you go. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. Ah. The ninth, topaz the 10th chrysoprace I'm not sure how to pronounce that but that's chrysoprace the 11th jason that's really cool no but i have an issue i really like purple i mean i do i mean what's what's the lord have against purple i mean i i i, I like jenna's shirt I, I i think it i I'm, a, I'm into purple well for all you purple people the 12th Amethyst. There it is. You see, Hey? Right there. So this is the walls. They're just the foundation of the wall is just tremendous beauty. Verse um, twenty-one: that twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was gate was one pearl. And the streets of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And it is important to understand that the temple in the Old Testament and the tabernacle was a, sh- a foreshadowing, a shadow. The Book of Hebrews says all even the, all the vessels of ministry are a shadow of, of things to come. It was. Uh, it it was, were things, the temple was something placed on earth in order for God to communicate with us. So much had sin defiled our understanding. There's not going to be a physical structure in the new heavens and the new earth. There's the, the, there's, uh, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun Or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated the Lamb. Is its light. And so we'll get to the book of Genesis. That's where we're headed next. And we'll see God created light. Before he created the sun and the moon. And that causes enemies of the Bible to get very upset you see it's it's all very silly how can you have plants which were made before the sun existing before the sun was made by God well the same way that there, we're going to see plants in chapter 22 and there's not going to be any sun <laughs> there's another explanation explanation too it's because there were six literal days but the glory of God illuminated it and and, it says the Lamb is its light it says the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world and, and Could it be that's part of what the the original light was? I don't know. But in verse 24, it says, the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. So everything will be brought into the light. In other words, on planet Earth today, when a king has glory, or a businessman, or a rock singer, or whoever, they don't bring their glory into the light. That's that's the problem, preachers oftentimes. There's a, there's a glory about what God has done through them, but it's not brought into the light. So it, it's, it's defiled. But here, everything's going to be brought, anything glory, anything with glory, anything with good, is going to be brought into the light. 20, verse 25, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And so the gates of cities in ancient times were closed at night because of safety reasons. There's not going to be any need for that. There's not going to be bandits. There's not going to be robbers. There's not going to be invasions. It's going to be a place of just complete peace. Verse 26 And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. This is all the people will all have access to this new city, this new heavens. Verse twenty seven, but there shall be by no there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or cause an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We have no idea how much sin has defiled the world. It says, nothing that defiles. But all government, all educational systems, all the media, even the church, the church still has the defilement of sin in many ways. As we say from time to time, we're not a museum of saints. We're a hospital of sinners. Someone came up to me this morning and was upset because there's someone in the church gossiping about them or suggested that they might or there could be. And I just told him, look, we're a hospital of sinners. 10% of people in, in, in churches are gossips. <laughs> you know, pray for them. They're under construction. That's why we're here. This is not a perfect place. This will be, though, in chapter 21. So many people get upset with the church because they come into it and they expect to find heaven. They expect to find Revelation twenty-one and twenty-two. No. Now we are being transformed into the uh, image of Christ, like the the by the Spirit of of our God. Praise the Lord that is happening. But we look to a time where anything that defiles will be shed from us. It will no longer be a part of us in our glorified bodies or the place that we are. But there shall be no means enter in into it. Anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the book of life. Chapter 22, verse 1. You may say, wow, you know, there are lots of descriptions of very tall and thick walls, inanimate stuff. If that's all heaven would be, would it be a stuffy kind of place with no life? Well, that's what uh, is introduced to us in chapter 22. Remember, when this was first written, there were no chapter breaks. And he showed me a pure river of water. Water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, not to be confused with Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1 which talks about the temple in the that's gonna be in Jerusalem during the millennial reign. It's going to be a foreshadowing of what's to come. And in that temple, if you may remember, that there was a river of water coming, proceeding from the throne of God and of the land. No, this is the, this is the real thing here. There is no temple in heaven. In the new heavens and the new earth uh, of, of Revelation 21 and 22. It says, And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit in, ev- in, in, in every month. Does that mean there's 12 seasons? I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure. Probably not, but the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. So interesting introduction of the tree of life. We know the tree of life uh, fairly well, don't we? Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, you don't have to go there, but it's uh, out of the ground. God made every tree grow, and the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden as was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Thank the Lord. No mention in the new heavens of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there is this mention of the tree of life. It is uh, interesting there, the mention of the tree of life which we saw at the very beginning of the Bible, here it is at the very end, in Genesis 3.22, after Eve ate of the fruit of of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and so did Adam. Does it... It says then the Lord God said behold the man has become like one of us to know good and evil and now lest he put on his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of eden till the, to till the ground from which he was taken so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life, so somehow the tree of life has some role in perpetuating life forever, and that's why we—it's uh, introduced again into uh, on the scene there in Revelation chapter twenty-two. There is disagreement there about the last part of verse two, which says the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It's certainly not because there's sin there. It's not because there's disease there. Uh, Probably a better way of translating that particular word is the health giving of the nations, meaning perpetual good health, perpetual joy, perpetual life. Verse 3 says, And there shall be no more curse. So no sin, no temptation, no earning our living out of, from the, the sweat of our brow. None of that. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. It was always meant to be that way even with Adam and Eve serving the Lord serving the Lord is an unspeakable privilege which we will be able to do for all eternity now you know in this life in this born again life we do have a taste of it I mean sometimes I'm overwhelmed at the privilege of serving the Lord I'm just overwhelmed wow Lord why me this is just incredible But here in this new city, this new heavens uh, and the new earth, we'll be serving the Lord, and it'll just be a constant joy. We will just be blessed with a constant privilege of serving the Lord. Verse four, they shall see his face. It's a remarkable phrase. They shall see his faith. Now some people actually think that this is referring to God the Father. I, I, I'm not sure I see that because it does say God is Spirit. It's referring to God the Son, I do believe. But it there will never be a need for faith in heaven to exercise faith. You'll never have to lift a prayer up in faith to God because everything then will be face to face. In the book of Exodus, Moses, the afterglow, he was able to commune with God face to face. And then he just walked away. There's this glow about him. Oh my, look at that. Of course, you know, we can have a glow too in a different way but a very real one when we spend time with the Lord but this is a literal face to face and it's going to be this is our inheritance forever and ever and it says there and his name shall be on our forehead so he will openly and publicly identify us with us for all eternity which he does now by the way his seal of salvation is on all of us. Verse five, there will be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Verse six is an interesting transition because it moves suddenly from this time in the future this vision is going to happen at some point in in the future which is at least a thousand and seven years from now which is a thousand millennial reign and a thousand seven years the tribulation period if the rapture's tonight it'll be a thousand seven years there's a transition between five and six and in verse six all of a sudden it moves the scene moves back to the present to the time which at the time of this writing was 90 AD and it's in the island of Patmos so we're back from heaven we're we're now away from the the scene of heaven back to the island of Patmos and There's the island of of Patmos right there. It's part of Greece at the time, right off of, near Turkey. But um, that's where the scene moves back to. And he's probably like, oh man, don't, don't take me away from heaven. You know, this type of thing. But that's what happens and he's back. It's just him and Jesus. Or it's the, rather, it's it's probably the, the, rather it's, it's, it's it's him and Jesus and, this, and, and also, I believe, an angel. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. This is the angel who's been uh, somehow taking him from the future back to the present. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show his servants the things which must uh, shortly take pl- Take place, but Jesus is still, still with them there on the island of Patmos, and says, "Behold, I'm, I'm coming quickly." Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Notice again in verse six where it says the angel; it says was sent to show his servants the things which must shortly take place and we'll see um, a couple times here in the closing verses that in verse 10 it says and he said to me do not seal the words of this prophecy the book of revelation is not a closed book it's not a mystery book it's an open book it's a book to be read it's a book to be uh, we're supposed to keep his th- uh, the words of this book. It says in verse seven, "Behold, I'm coming." Blessed is he, is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, it should be striking to you as you read this that, "Behold, I'm qu- um, I'm coming quickly." Three times. Verse seven verse 12 and verse 20 he mentions that behold I'm coming quickly we should be living with the anticipation of Jesus imminent return and you know when he says something once we're supposed to pay attention when he says something twice we're really really supposed to pay attention but when he says something three times it's a big deal particularly when it's the last verse, rather the last thing Jesus utters in the word of God, which it is, verse 20. Verse 8, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to uh, worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And so he basically loses his mind i mean he leaves the scene of heaven and once again he makes the same mistake and he's worshiping the angel and the angel says in verse nine then he said to me see that you do not do that and he's very well aware of what happened with lucifer he's like looking around whoa, whoa no don't you do that <laughs> he doesn't want to be cast out of heaven so um uh don't you do that For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Verse 11, it says, and he who is unjust, rather, uh, rather verse 10 says, and he said to me, do not seal the words of this prophecy. Meaning this, this book is supposed to be taught, it's supposed to be shared for the time is at hand. Meaning all these warnings, all these judgments, and some of them were just positively horrific. It's for our good. It's for the good of, of uh, of the church. It's, it's for the good of those who read it. There's verse 11, interesting. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. Meaning, look, if you've gotten all the warnings of this book and you're unmoved, you, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And and if this message doesn't work, nothing will. That's the idea behind verse 11. It's a scary, it's a scary thing if a person is told all this, but they stand their sin. Verse 12 says, behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus is Jehovah. This is, God calls himself the Alpha and the Omega in the book of Isaiah, the beginning and the end in the book of Isaiah. No question there that speaking of Jehovah, he's, he's God, he's Jehovah God there. This is Jesus speaking. Verse 14, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Interesting, God pleading in the closing verses of the Bible for people to repent and turn to him. He's saying, blessed are those that that do his commandments and, and, and they are given right to the tree of life and that they may enter the gates of the city but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. So dogs, what's that about? Well, false prophets. We were talking about them this morning in Philippians. Paul says to the church in Philippi, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, meaning beware of false prophets who come in and want Gentiles to be circumcised in order to be saved. False prophets. Distorting the free gospel of, of grace. word for sorcery here, pharmacia, from which we get the word pharmacy. You know, we live in a world that is in bondage to drug use. It's a serious thing it's in the Bible. You say, well, Pastor Steve, when they make marijuana legal in the state of Massachusetts, what are you going to do with, with people? you know, with people who call themselves Christians and, and, and want to smoke weed. Well, they're going to have a big issue with me. Because it's really clear that mind-altering drugs are a serious thing. And I, I wouldn't be loving them if I said, oh yeah, man, go just toke on a joint after the service. It's legal now. No. It's pharmacia. It's a form of sorcery. Verse 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. That's a very important name of Jesus. He's the root and the offspring of David. What does that mean? It's wonderful to dig into the word of God like we do on Sunday evenings. The root of David means that. Um, He created David. The offspring of David means that he was a descendant of David, which means what? He's the God-man. He not only created David, being the root of him, he is the offspring, he's the God-man who successfully Came to Earth was tempted in every way such as us. He learned obedience through suffering, the Bible says, became the perfect offering, the perfect sacrifice, and by it he, is, he has saved us to the uttermost. He is the root and the offspring of David. He's the bright and morning star. The bright and morning star is the star which appears right before the rising of the dawn. And we're in a dark time today. But we know Jesus. He's the bright and morning star. Verse 17, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Salvation is a gift, it can't be earned or deserved. God pleading with the very end of the very end of the Word of God Be saved. The eternal lake of fire was not made for for you. It was meant for the devil and his angels. Jesus Christ came to save you from it. Be saved. Verse 18, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And so, as a pastor, I sort of pay attention to that verse. I don't want these plagues. I want my book to remain, in the book, uh, my name to remain in the book of life. If anyone who adds to these things or takes away. You know, one of the reasons at Calvary Chapel, we are like many Christian churches, we favor a literal interpretation of the Bible. Including, by the way, Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And I should have started with Genesis chapter 1. but Please, I don't want to get in trouble with any of you. Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. As well as the book of, of Revelation. Because, I mean, look at these verses. Don't... I mean, they, they have pretty strong warnings for, for taking away from the words of the Bible. And the problem with spiritualizing places in the Bible like the book of Genesis is if you're wrong and they were meant to be taken literally, you're taken away from the word of God. That's a serious thing. That's a serious thing. And so while it's definitely true, there are certain places where there's metaphors and certain things are sort of there's a spiritual meaning and not a literal, absolutely is the case. Need to be very careful what we do with those verses. Verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely... I am coming quickly. So it's not a man who's writing this book. It's God. You know, on Saturday nights we're doing our evangelism training. Comic Justin, the Bible is a man-made book. Well, this says here in Revelation, it's Jesus who testifies to these things, who's writing these things. He's putting his imprimatur. His Fingerprint, his handprint, his seal of ownership on what is being said. Surely I am coming quickly, it says, after he says he, he who testifies to these things. It says, Surely I'm coming quickly. Amen, which means so be it, it is true. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. May that be the, the cry of our heart. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And oh, how we need that grace. And it's a good thing that we have the promise of the grace, just to walk with him. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. As we go out believing in this, obeying this book, walking in it, That very simple life with Christ, which is what? Believing and loving. We do so because of the grace of God, the undeserved grace. Praise the Lord. It says, You will be blessed. If you read this book, it says, and it has been a blessing.